Welcome to Mystical Musings, May 21st, 2017. Now midway in our 14th year here in the Mile High City of Denver in the Walker Fine Art Gallery with Myron McClellan and me, Lawrence Phillips. We are here near the Civic Center heart of the city in one of the oldest of the Denver neighborhoods, the Golden Triangle, known for its numerous art galleries, restaurants, and neoclassical architecture. Those of us who identify as spiritual but not religious, who are non-sectarian, non-denominational, non-doctrinaire, are the fastest growing demographic of the sacred communities in America. Thank you for joining us today, creating our community of mystics, people finding unity with God, the breath of life, the gentle whisper, the great spirit as a community of mystics who know beyond the intellect, spiritual apprehension of truths. I am because we are. I am because we are one, celebrating body and spirit. Today's portal, Mystic Strategies. Here's a brief recap of our mystic year to date over the last eight consecutive months, each of which comprised a mystic strategy. September, light in the dark. There is a crack in everything. That's how the light gets in. October, whispers of eternity. In this present moment, here, now, with you, eternity is always beckoning. November, ringing out the light. You may have to work for it, but light is always available. December, the generosity of silence. Hidden within the silence and the dark reside great mystic gifts. January, innocence, inner sense, our sense of ourselves from within, our kinesthetic sense, our inner sense is the home of our never lost innocence. February, the art of imperfection. Rather than perfectionism that can be cold and heartless, wabi-sabi, the art of imperfection, cultivates kindness and compassion. 
march. Irrational exuberance. In the turbulence, joy anyway. April. Resurrecting love. It's all too easy for the world to get us down, to be of the world rather than in it. Our mystic task is to ongoingly resurrect love no matter what. To ongoingly resurrect love no matter what. How do we keep our mystic boats afloat in turbulent waters? How can we keep our sense of oneness in such polarizing and divisive times? In time for our summer break until September the 17th, we explore some fundamental strategies for evoking mystic presence and for cultivating our mystic practice. One way to return to something organic is to let go of any place that feels slightly held, like our jaw, eyes, brow, breath. I had the honor and privilege of meeting the spiritual leader, Roshi Philip Kaplow, author of the Three Pillars of Zen and the founder of the Rochester Zen Center, in a small group when I was in college. I precociously asked the imminent teacher whether Washington, D.C. was real. Not whether it exists in material reality, which of course it does, but rather is it important to focus on, to be reactive to, to keep it present, in our lives. His answer is that unless it is our individual karma to effect change in that venue, no, Washington, D.C. is not real. <laughs> Washington and the media can so easily generate within us a sense of being of the world rather than in it, being possessed by the world, being emotionally very reactive to it, distracting our attention from what really matters our mystic oneness. On what do we focus our attention so that we may be in rather than of the world? This precious commodity, our attention and its deployment with which we are graced each day with the gift of choosing, upon what do I focus my attention? To not be possessed by worldly matters, mystics have realization and practice as strategic bulwarks against too much of the outer world influence. Realization includes apprehending spiritual truths beyond the intellect, spiritual awareness, and epiphanies. Practice aims to integrate our fundamental ways of how we know ourselves, including thinking, but also sensing, feeling, moving, and spiriting. Spiriting is our relationship to God, whatever that is, for you. Five fundamental windows. These are the fundamental windows into presence, the essential ways in which we learn about and know ourselves. Our culture mainly develops the thinking function, 
Cogito Ergo Sum from our buddy Descartes in the 1600s, the foundation of Western philosophy. I think, therefore I am. But also, the same could be said of sensing, feeling, moving, and spiriting. One powerful strategy for evoking our mystic sense of oneness is feeding our holism, nourishing all the metafunctions, not just the most commonly developed of thinking mind. Via the deployment of our attention, we nourish the supply roots of deep presence, our capacities to think, feel, sense, move, and spirit. Remembering who we are, what we are, and how we serve are the essential strategies for navigating the worldly while living in the mystic realm. Not that feeding our holism is a necessary prerequisite, since a more narrow deployment of attention can also yield mystic results. It's that nourishing our less developed functions helps to grow our resilience, our flexibility, and our adaptability. So let's feed our holism by looking more deeply at sensing, one of the metafunctions, one of the essential ways through which we know ourselves. How do we normally sense ourselves? Often when there's pain or discomfort. Sometimes we sense ourselves when we move, often from limitation and ache if we're older, often from a sense of pure joy if we're younger, and sometimes if we just break into spontaneous kitchen boogie, no matter what age. <laughs> we often sense ourselves when after a long time of being on our feet, we sit or lie down, sensing that very palpable relief. We delight in the sensations of eating and drinking. We enjoy the embodied experiences of just being alive. We revel in the pure joy of listening to Myron's sacred music. So there is much to be sensing, and yet there is more. Going underneath the mind chatter, coming into our hearts right now, I recommend to facilitate going under the mind chatter that you shut off the periscopes, close your eyes, and come down and in. If you want to keep your eyes open, feel free. But I recommend that you let go of the visual cortex so that you can open to the sensory and motor cortex. If you really do want to keep your eyes open, keep them open gazing, not looking, so that the gaze is very, very soft. As you're coming into your heart, what do you find there? Of what do you become aware? Can you feel the beating, the pulsing? Can you notice the movements of your chest at your heart with each breath? Can you sense the back of your heart?
moving lower into pelvis, center of gravity, with each breath inviting focus on sensations involved with the breathing. Can you allow yourself to breathe from the pelvis, expanding and contracting the lower abdomen? As you scan the embodied experience, what sensations come across your biocomputer screen? Can you sense your weight, the ground, the support? Noticing right now by sensing each breath simply being present to sensate awareness. If you notice a place of holding but can't let it go, slightly contract it a little more. So if your jaw is feeling tense, ever so slightly contract it a little more and on the exhale, let it go. If your fingers are feeling ever so slightly fidgety, let your hand contract a little bit. And on the exhale, letting it go. Sensing involves our bodies moving in space as well as our internal sensing of self, noticing eyes, Tongue, noticing external sounds and redirecting attention inside. You never know, that might be an angel. Sensing in your jaw for any gurgles, or tensions, tingles, the movements of breathing, our hearts beating, swallowing, sniffing, fidgeting, blinking, shifting. Taking time to notice what you notice sensorily as we evolve ourselves from homo sapiens to homo sensorium. Sensations anchor our emotional feelings in the embodied experience. And in developing our sensate awareness, we develop a foundation for our emotional presence as well, providing a harbor for growing our emotional intelligence, a very useful capacity for us suburban mystics being in, not of the world. Let's bring our attention to our heart, noticing whatever is most present and obvious right now, including that there's nothing that's obvious. 
breathing a little more fully, to sense a little more fully, to feel emotionally a little more fully. What is the quality of your presence emotionally right now? What's your attitude right now? Imagine just for a moment something that or someone who brings you love, peace, joy. Noticing how your embodied experience responds. What arises when you focus your attention on love? Scanning in a sensory-rich way as you focus this catalyst in your mind's eye and your heart's eye. What arises in terms of what are you hearing? What might you be hearing? Smelling, tasting, touching. What do you see? In response to this catalyst of love, what's the quality of your breathing? Developing intentional sensory richness aids our emotional and heartful richness. But we don't just want to pay attention to the positive since the light and dark coexist. So just for a moment, and only if you're willing to play, think of something that brings up a little fear. Don't go for a 10. Yeah, yeah, don't go for a 10. But something that's handleable, maybe a five and breathe four counts in and four counts out. That breathing, breathing pattern helps us elicit a brainwave pattern called alpha. As you breathe four counts in, four counts out, continuously and connectedly, we evoke a calming brainwave response. It's very useful in times of great stress and challenge. Big emotion. So we're bringing love to our fear, allowing ourselves deliberately, homeopathically, to elicit a little bit of the dis-ease in order that we create a greater ease. And now, let that fear go with a big sigh. <sighs> and lastly, one truly great strategy for the mystic, ancient, comes from the Tibetan Buddhists called Tonglen that we have explored with you a number of times. You breathe in whatever suffering is happening 
personal or collective, and you transmute it and you breathe out love, peace, joy. Breathing in the suffering, having the courage to accept it and allow it, and breathing out as the alchemist that we all are, love, joy, peace. Thereby developing our heart presence and cultivating a strategic spirituality. Namaste. Welcome, first-timers, and welcome, old-timers. It's great to have you here. What you bring to us, as you bring your heart, blesses the entire field. Every one of us is more blessed because you're here. What this sacred community is about is opening our hearts to one another, opening our minds so we can learn, and opening our bodies so there's no obstruction to that learning. We are a heart-based community, so our philosophy changes all the time because it's not based in our beliefs. It's based in our love and in our hearts and in our recognition that I am because we are, which is literally true. If I did not have you and you did not have me, we wouldn't know who we were. You put us on a desert island, we have no idea who we are. We know ourselves because we know you. We are able to love ourselves because we love you. So it is so wonderful to have you here. The field that is created today is unique. Won't be the same any other time. One, because we'll have different people. Two, because it'll be a different time. And we will have grown in the month apart. And so the fluidity of our community, our willingness to let go and let the flow of life carry us, is such a blessing. It's the way we receive grace. It's the way we don't stop the movement of spirit in us. If we have these hard-worn beliefs and doctrines and dogmas, they block the flow. Just as if we think we know everything, there can be no flow, right? If you know everything, then you can't be open to what's coming next. So we come also with a sense of humility and a sense of asking to be blessed and asking for grace. If we don't ask for it, we still get it. However, we get it in greater measure if we ask for it. And then we can feel it more deeply then. So we always ask for the blessing of spirit and 
the guidance of spirit and the love of the divine presence among us. Thank you so much for being here. You're such a gift. Thank you. Namaste.
Continuing our intentional nurturance of self by feeding our holism. Movement is yet another primary metafunction. Sensing, feeling, thinking, moving, spiriting. Movement is yet another one of how we know 
ourselves. Witness the quintessential nature of the developmental movements of early childhood, without which we would be brain injured for life, as well as some of the great joys of the moving embodied life. Music, thank you. Could you imagine if Myron's fingers couldn't move? Thank you, beloved, it's beautiful. Sporting activities, camping, swimming, hiking, biking, dancing, massage, touch, healing, loving. All involve movement as a fundamental way in which we experience and know ourselves. The movements just even of our breathing tell us a lot. Sensing for the quality and flow of our breathing movements, are they short or choppy? or easily and more deeply flowing. Our cultural bias when we get afraid is overwhelmingly we hold our breath, and hence the desirability of four counts in and four counts out is a very useful tool when we get afraid. From where in our bodies does the breath originate? And to where in our bodies does the breath flow? Where is there dis-ease? And where is there ease with our breathing? The quality of our breathing tells us a lot about our emotional state and our spiritual awareness. Where in this increasingly chaotic, rapidly changing, exponentially transforming, uncertain, challenging world, can a pessimistically, pessimistically inclined contemplative find evidence of potentially mass positive transformation to help support a deliberate, optimistic perspective? While listening to what follows, it might be a little evocative of some fear, so please, four counts in, four counts out. Breathing in a little of the fear that might arise, the suffering, and then transmuting the fear into love and peace and courage. Practicing one of the more advanced strategies for being in but not of the world. There are at times unexpected unfoldings of events. Some call them wild cards or black swans which have a disproportionate role in high profile, hard to predict, and rare events that are beyond the realm of normal expectations in history, science, finance, and technology. These unanticipated events often arrive seemingly out of the blue. One such gigantic unfolding has been the recent cyber attack that spread malicious software around the world last weekend aptly named WannaCry, an awesome confluence of negative and some positive factors resulted in a ransomware attack that hobbled the UK's hospital network, as well as computer systems in many countries, including the US, Ukraine, India, train systems in Germany and Russia, phone companies in Madrid and Moscow, Brazil's social security system, FedEx Corp, ah, over 150 countries were affected, all in an effort to extort money from computer users. The hackers tricked victims into opening corrupt disguised links masquerading as invoices, 
resulting in enormous amounts of disruption amid what is probably the largest ransomware attack in history. This story has many dark twists and some positive turns, including that the hackers exploited a vulnerability in Microsoft Windows that was apparently identified by the United States National Security Agency to be utilized as a cyber weapon. Hackers stole this information from the NSA, then dumped it on the internet for anybody to see and some to use. You know those little pop-ups that tell you to update your software that most of us ignore? Turns out, you need to do it. It's really desirable to keep your updates updated. Simple act of maintenance that would have stopped the attack in many of the cases. The cyber attack was so widespread that Microsoft changed its policy of not patching older systems, quickly reversing its official stance of many years, making security fixes available for free for all the older Windows systems still used by millions of businesses and people all over the globe. Certainly an unexpected and positive indicator amid the chaos. The evidence for incipient mass positive transformation is the fact that this entire worldwide cyber attack was initially stymied, excuse me, this entire attack was initially stymied by one individual 22-year-old person in Britain who serendipitously happened upon a kill switch embedded in the software that halted the entire attack. Our hero determined that the malware did not have a domain registration that he inexpensively purchased, stopping the attack. One single person, one 22-year-old single person up against the whole globe being attacked, a veritable David against Goliath, revealing the still remarkable potential of one individual against vast powers, evidence for positive potential in the darkness of chaotic transformation. With the help of another intrepid 20-something in the US, these two awesome cyber warriors fought a global battle and at least temporarily won. These two young men are part of a large global cybersecurity community of people working independently or for security systems, companies who are constantly watching for attacks and who work together to stop or prevent them, often sharing inter, uh, information on, of all things, Twitter. There's that word again. <laughs> there are many who are calling these guys heroes, and in a wonderfully British way, the original fellow says he doesn't consider himself a hero, but that he fights malware because it's the right thing to do. <laughs> the, power, the power of one individual to make a difference, as well as the power of one in concert with others, point us toward incipient evidence. The fact that there are youthful cyber warriors with many more up and coming that, and, uh, that was uh, unexpected, and that there was unexpected serendipity and that evil was at least temporarily foiled, reveals for us incipient evidence for mass positive transformation. Shalom, Christ be with you. Assalamu alaikum, adieu, adios, aloha, namaste. We honor the place in you wherein the entire universe dwells. We honor the place in you which is of love, of truth, of light and dark, and of peace.
as you are in that place in you and we're in that place in us, we are all one. Namaste. Mystic strategies. Mystic strategies are different when you're feeling good from when you're feeling less than good, in fact, when you're feeling terrible. So, you know, when we're feeling good, the strategies are to open our hearts in gratitude every day. I know you do that. To listen to our breath, sit, meditate, and experience the vastness of the individual consciousness. We pray for one another, we pray for ourselves, and we pray for the world. We send light into the world. It's our job. We send light, it nurtures the collective. Anytime we are experiencing love, it's nurturing the collective. Anytime we're seeing the sacredness of all that is, we're nurturing the collective. This is our job. Now, there may be other jobs uh, that you're doing to make a difference in the world, but as spiritual people, as mystics, it's our job to put love and light into the collective. And the great thing is that as we put love and light into ourselves, it goes into the collective. Any moment of love between two of us blesses the entire world. I'm not exaggerating. So the strategies we have also make us expand and want to explore more. So another strategy, when we're feeling good and when we're feeling bad, but I'll get to that in a minute, um, is to take ourselves into nature and allow ourselves to be blessed by all of the conscious beings incarnated in trees, bushes, flowers, rocks, everything. Open ourselves to blessing. Last time I was saying, you know, what, what a good prayer is for this period of time is, I accept and I allow grace. Because that's what we're actually doing. We're not creating grace. <laughs> that's not something that's possible. But we accept, we open our hearts to our good, to grace, to beauty, to wonder, to joy. And that's a wonderful, wonderful mystical strategy. Another mystical strategy is to listen to wonderful music, to go to gong baths, to let all parts of ourselves be alive and interested and present. We present to all the love and joy that we have and that we acknowledge and that we feel. Now, what about the mystic strategies when we're not feeling so good? 
This has been an interesting time in that I have heard reports from so many of my friends and clients about relationships suddenly ending, being blindsided by that, being blindsided by the hostility of someone you thought was a friend, and losing partnerships. Friends of mine have been close friends with another couple for 26 years. They did everything together. All the birthdays, Christmas, their kids knew one another. They went out to dinner, they went out to the theater, and they were really close. And two weeks ago, the, other, the couple wrote my friends and said, we don't want to be with you anymore. And then listed a, some grievances that had been going on for all these 26 years. And instead of their saying, you know, this does not work for me, can we change this? They, they don't feel that feeling, they start building a case, right? Start building an argument, making a case, and then, then when they start to dump, they dump everything. It's like the kitchen sink thing, you know? It's like all previous, all previous uh, offenses. Now, that's a very big shock to the system. And, and I, as I say, I've, I've heard it from many people. Now, what do we do in that case? What do we do when we are attacked, when we are unfairly accused, when our friends are hostile to us? What do we do? We go into shock, as I say, but then this is where the mystical strategy comes in. Now, this is a, a, for spiritually based people, mystical strategies. First of all, you have to, if they're willing to talk to you, you have to see, see what your part is. If they're not willing to talk to you, you have to see what your part is, right? For some reason, you've let that into your life. And that reason is always going to be for one thing, it's to grow. It's to grow spiritually. And if we don't have adversity, we don't grow. At least that's true in our present paradigm. <laughs> I'm hoping in the future <laughs> that we learn by grace and joy and ease and fun. <laughs> but right now, uh, we take responsibility for all those things coming in and we want to grow, asking what, how we can grow from this. Second thing that is a strategy is that we refuse to allow ourselves be victims. We don't get anything if we're the victims. There's no growth in that. Even if objectively someone might say, you've been victimized, well, you don't go to the victim inside. And Lawrence and I are so good about saying, stay away from the victim, right? Very good about reminding ourselves. So, then, third, we ask, what is the bottom line lesson here? What are we trying to learn? And two things come up. One is we compare what this assault was to an earlier assault by someone, 
and we notice how different our reactions are. And then we say, oh, we've grown. Didn't used to be able to do that. I couldn't let it go. But now I watch myself not being taken down by it. And the other thing that we learn is that we have a lot more strength, a lot more spiritual strength than we ever thought we did. Now, what my guides are saying to me these days is, look, you've got highly developed awareness. You have highly developed and refined compassion. So the head and the heart are really well developed. Now it's time for the hara. The hara is the center of the body, and the hara is where we receive hostile information. This is where we receive anger. If we receive it down here, then it strengthens us. If we go up here, it confuses us, and if it goes down to the heart, it really hurts us. But we're asked now to get stronger. And the, the things that are happening to my friends and family and clients are things that really require that you have done and you are open to your emotional body work. If we are not aware of the wounds that we have, the childhood wounds, and not have worked on them and processed them, then we, don't, we can't handle this. When something comes up, we know it's related to some childhood incident, and we dig that up, and we let ourselves feel that. So when we're doing that, we can stand tall and say, I'm doing this, I, I, I'm okay. I haven't been destroyed by this. I can keep my head high. I can listen to all the grievances, and I can say, okay, you got your point. And then we can also look and see how much of it isn't true, and we've been doing our best. So, Strength training is not easy or pleasant, but my guides are saying we need to be strengthened. We need to be strong in our love, in our joy, in our acceptance of life, in our celebration of life as a sacred event, and have that strength and have it within ourselves because that makes everyone else in the world stronger. So when they are facing adversity, they get some help from us. It's again a part of our job. So you remember that the last two times I've been talking about the old paradigm which is based in belief. Dogma, doctrine, it's based in belief. 
the new paradigm is based in love. Now, we're between those, so, you know, we're in this transition, which is not exactly a pleasant place to be, but it's fruitful. If we're over here in the old paradigm, and something like this happens to us, we're likely to go up to our heads and say, why? Why? And then, that's okay, because it just happens naturally, but we don't get anywhere there. If we think into it, we get much less than if we feel into it. So the new paradigm is about really taking information coming to us and feel into it. We also make our decisions in a different way because we feel into it. Now, since I've, these two months that we've been working on this, it is such a relief to be able to feel into your life, not think your life, feel into your friends, feel into your issues, feel into everything that arises. So as we go through ups and downs, as I was saying, you know, light and shadow and pleasant things and unpleasant things, that's just what life is. Then the mystic strategy is to stay present with whatever is. To stay present in times of difficulty, to stay present in times of joy. Now, you'd be surprised to hear that sometimes it's harder for some people to stay present in times of joy. Mystics are pretty joy addicted, so, so uh, it's, it's easier for us than to stay present in the shadow and in the pain and what's un unpleasant. But we know, and this is a mystical strategy, that if we feel, we feel all of the pain of whatever is going on, that it goes away. Eventually, it goes away. If we resist it, if we turn away from it and say, I don't want to feel all of this, tired of feeling afraid, tired of grieving, then it takes that much longer for it to work through. The way out of feelings we have known for a long time, the way out is the way through. So as we take in the information from our heart, then we become more compassionate, more humble, more aware, more peaceful, more joyful, more exuberant. And we become more a gift to the collective. We have a suffering world now. And we can do something about it. Sometimes we think, oh, you know, praying for it, does that make any difference? Sending light into it makes any difference? I promise you, it does. 
And we're told that the way we get to evolve, what comes next is so like the destruction of this and that. But we hold that we can change without destroying the earth. And we do our part. So every time we're in a moment of love, awareness, joy, happiness, peace, we're doing our job. And we're called to that. That's what we are here for. And that's why we came at this particular time. So we volunteered. <laughs> so <laughs> so at any rate, it's so wonderful to be with you because going through anything by yourself is not a mystical strategy. A mystical strategy is to Number one, ask for your guides, your angels, your avatars, the ones you pray to, or the one you pray to, to be there and to help you through this process, not to help you out of it, but to help you through it. And then turn to other people. Trying to suffer your grief alone is just so heartbreaking and so difficult. So as mystics, we have close spiritual companions and they help us. They help us in the difficult times and they help us in the times of joy. And when we have a sacred community like this, it reminds us, it reminds us, every time we come here, it reminds Lawrence and me that all of life is sacred. All of life is sacred. This is a sacred, sacred enterprise that we are involved in. And the field that is created by our joint hearts opening is so sacred, it is profoundly healing. Thank you for bringing your hearts today. Lawrence and I love you. Namaste.
Thank you. Adaptability is the quality of being able to adjust to new conditions and derives from the Latin to fit. Interesting that the etymology of happiness is that which fits. And so happiness and adaptability are intertwined. What cultivates adaptability? A willingness to explore beyond thinking mind and choosing to respond rather than just react. Exploration of responsibility is fostered by growing our capacity for adaptability and our sense of presence. The simple work of adaptive presence is grown by more deeply breathing, or counts in, or counts out. The advanced work of adaptive presence is grown by contemplating the nature of our existence, which from a Buddhist perspective is characterized by three qualities, emptiness, impermanence, and suffering. We meet the emptiness with mantra. We meet the impermanence with courage. We meet the suffering with compassion. As well as longer-term study, adaptability and presence comprise mystic first aid strategies. One of the great strategies for dealing with our incessantly thinking mind, some call monkey mind, is mantra which can pretty much be anything. The great ones come to mind. Om Mani Padme Hum, which is praise to the jewel in the lotus. Hail Mary, full of grace. I am here now in this. I am here now in this with you, great spirit, Mama Gaia, protectors, guides, angels. Anything can be mantra, including pithy quotes. What follows are mystic gemstones derived from our collective humanity designed to inspire our hearts. So we don't get too focused in thinking mind. Attributions for these mystic gems are available on the table behind me or by email. Let us continue evoking presence with breathing more fully that we may invoke our inner sensing, allowing the shimmer of deepened presence. So I would recommend again that we close the visual cortex down and open to all the rest of us. We're here to put a dent in the universe. Otherwise, why else even be here? If today were the last day of your life, would you want to do what you're doing now? There is no reason not to follow your heart. Keeping calm, being like water. I am sorry. Please forgive me. Thank you. I forgive you. I love you. Being strong, things will get better. It may be stormy now, but it never rains forever. There is always, always something to be thankful for. The challenge is to silence the mind. The soul 
always knows what to do to heal itself. Putting our ears down close to our soul and listening hard. Every day, in every way, I am getting better and better. Never losing sight of the fact that just being is fun. I am grateful for all that is unfolding in my life and all that is yet to come. Namaste.